When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth Shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make Shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. So the number one quarterback in the 2024 cycle just randomly shows up in Lincoln, Nebraska at a basketball game, and they expect us not to talk about it? Don't think so. Welcome into the Hard Count. This is the people's show for every single thing that you and I both know and love about this beautiful game of college football. We are fired up that you're here. We got content, like I said, every single day, live twice a week. We have a ton to jump into in just a few minutes. I want to talk about this Dylan Rayola recruitment. We're not breaking news. We don't have anything super new and informative to talk about, but we do have some thoughts. Going to be joined by national recruiting analyst for us here at On3 to break down the recruitment of Dylan Rayola, the RPM machine. Just kind of keeps pumping their recruiting prediction machine, rather, just kind of keeps rayoling along. Going to give you our thoughts on that and our thoughts on where his recruitment stands right now. Also, imagine being scared to draft Bryce Young. Just sit with that for a second. The Heisman Trophy winner of a couple seasons ago competed at the highest level of football, at the high school level, at the college level, and you're scared to draft him because he's a few inches shorter than you would like? We got to unpack that one because somebody did actually say they would be scared to death to draft Bryce Young. I don't know if you can tell, but we would not fall into that category here on this program. The college football stars of tomorrow. Who is set to absolutely break out in 2023? We called our shot a season ago. Marvin Harrison Jr. was in that batch. We told you they were set to break out, and Marvin Harrison Jr. ended up doing what he did. So we're going to give you a list of players that is not all-encompassing, but some of the early characters that we think are going to have an enormous 2023 season. And spring football, for some programs, is already up and rolling. Some schools start, I believe, in the next couple weeks. Vanderbilt gets spring football rolling today, just a few Miles down the street from us here in Nashville, Tennessee. What are the top battles? On three, put out a top five list on Twitter. I just want to break down some of these battles because a lot of them will have implications on the college football playoff race. Battle going on in Athens, Georgia. Battle going on in Columbus, Ohio. Lane Kiffin took the beta fish approach where he just put a bunch of beta fish in one tank, which you know you're not supposed to do. And they're about to battle it out in Oxford, Mississippi. I'm going to give you our thoughts, our feelings on that. And then at the end of this show, you know how we do it around here. And if you're new, welcome. But how we do this at the end of the show is you join the party. If you're not yet following me, at J.D. Paquel, that's the medium which we get to hear from you. And I posed a question a couple weeks ago, and I said, if you could change one thing about college football, whether it be a rule, whether it be the TV schedule, whether it be the calendar as a whole, what would it be? We got a lot of really good, a lot of really creative responses from y'all. So Nick Brake, Keeper the Q, going to join the show, and we'll unpack those in its entirety. Like I said, I want to get to Dylan Riola here in just a few short minutes, but this is a headline that has surfaced in the last 24 to 48 hours that we need to address. ESPN's Todd McShay went on the record saying he would be scared to draft Bryce Young. Now, that was the headline. What he also said, though, was he would bet on him. He thinks he's a great player, but he's scared to draft Bryce Young because of the fact that he is, according to a scout, 5'10 and a half, 195 pounds. Now, for those of you that don't know, that is less than ideal size for an NFL quarterback. But we just need to stop this narrative in its tracks. We need to stop this right now because the opportunity cost is something we're not totally taking into account here if we're not drafting Bryce Young. The possibility is you draft Bryce Young and he gets hurt and then you lose your top pick and you wasted a bullet, right? Like that's the, the concern. That's what would make you worried. What about it this way, though? What if you don't draft Bryce Young, you miss on a Hall of Fame quarterback? What if you miss on what Bryce Young could be? Are we taking that into account? I'd be scared to death to not draft Bryce Young. Now, this is not an NFL show. You know we love college football here. We are college football-centric exclusively, but we got to go to bat here for our guy, Bryce Young. If I'm a GM, I'm worried about losing my job for making the wrong decision with the number one pick and drafting somebody who gets hurt. Let me tell you this. If you draft somebody 
at number one, it's a gamble, right? Who, whoever it is, whether you take Bryce Young, CJ Stroud, Anthony Richardson, you're betting on somebody. You might as well bet on Bryce Young, a guy who has performed at the top level of football from high school, where he was at modern day high school, the top league in America in Southern California, playing schools like St. John Bosco, Orange Lutheran, Servite, schools that just produce college prospects, was California Player of the Year. All right, that he gets to the, the collegiate level, plays in the SEC, or as we call it fondly on this program, NFL Junior, wins the Heisman Trophy. He was never, ever like an injury guy at any of those stops either. It was never a matter of, I hope Bryce Young can play this week. There was never the thought going into the, the year of, well, if Bryce Young stays healthy, because we know he has a tendency not to do that, no. Bryce Young's never had a big highlighted asterisk next to his name saying injury issues. That's not the case. I know he was hurt at times this past season, but that's a new thing for Bryce Young. That's not something we've had concerns about with him for the duration of this year. I got more thoughts on this, but if you have not yet subscribed to the On3 YouTube channel, we would love to have you a part of this, all right? College football content all year long. Like I've said before, we want you locked in. Follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, at JD Pakel, to make sure you're staying up with every single thing that we got going on on this platform. We're live twice a week. Now, like I was saying, Bryce Young dominated at all levels of football, high school, college. I don't expect it to be different at the professional level. But what I would also say is, you can't look at the NFL game and just somehow take the, the sample size at college and say, well, yeah, that's great. He did that in college. It doesn't, doesn't matter, right? Like you, you can't say he did that in college. He did that for Nick Saban. He did that with Alabama in the SEC, but uh, doesn't translate. In what world does what Bryce Young did not translate? It's not like he was Johnny Manziel and there's no Johnny Manziel shade on this program. I'm not, not anti-Johnny Menzel, but you don't look at Bryce Young and say he played backyard football and, and he just scrambled away and made things happen. Bryce Young played within a system, an NFL system at Alabama and put up numbers. You could make the argument last season, Alabama would have been substantially worse, would have been in more trouble from a wins and loss standpoint had Bryce Young not did the things he did for you. So I'm not buying into this thought process that Bryce Young somehow is this enormous risk to take. Could he get hurt? Sure. You know what else? Everybody else can get hurt too as a quarterback. Like you're always one hit away. And that's how Bryce Young plays the game, right? Like he is going to stand in there and take a shot for his team. But at the NFL level, you get coached differently. It's no longer a, hey, Bryce, when you get out of the pocket, maybe think about sliding. The conversation becomes with your offensive coordinator, whoever that is, Bryce Young. When you get out of the pocket and there is someone within sniffing distance of you, you get down. Because we have a lot of money invested in you. You want to play in this league for a long time. You're a pro now. You got to do what pros do. Like the coaching changes a little bit. So to expect that Bryce Young will take as many shots as he did at the collegiate level, I have a hard time getting behind. Yes, he's going to stand in there. Yes, he's going to be a gamer for you. And fourth and goal, he's going to extend the football to try and get in and get that six points for your team to win the game. But he's also, I don't anticipate taking as many shots as he did in the college level. Okay? So again, at some point, you are betting on somebody. Do you really want to be the guy that bet against Bryce Young? Is that really the narrative you want to have around yourself as a GM, you swing for the fence to some capacity anyway. I don't think there's any variables around Bryce Young from what he's accomplished that give me any pause. Okay, we've seen it work now in modern college football. I'll take that a step further. We've seen it work in professional football. Bryce Young wouldn't be the first sub-six-foot quarterback to put on a show at the NFL level. Drew Brees being one of them. Russell Wilson. We've seen Kyler Murray have flashes, and Kyler Murray plays a little bit more reckless than a one Bryce Young does. We've seen it work. Tua is like six foot flat. So don't tell me that they need to be 6'4", 225 to be successful. Bryce Young is a winner. He's a playmaker. He can make all the throws. He's a more athletic version of Russell Wilson to me. I would take him at number one. If they gave me the keys to an NFL franchise, I'd be like Kevin Costner in draft day. Bryce Young, no matter what. That's what I would have on my sticky notes. So that's how we feel about it. I think Bryce Young is the best player in this draft class. We're not an NFL show, but that's just how I feel about it. And we had to make our voices known on this. We had to give you our thoughts on 
this whole nonsense that Bryce Young is somehow a risk at number one. Guess what? You got the number one pick? It's a risk for everybody. No matter who you take, it's a risk. So that's how we feel about that. Just had to get it off our chest, man. Had to talk about it. We had to talk about that. Even though we're not an NFL show, we had to unpack that. Shout out to the podcast, everyone who's watching right now. We appreciate y'all. I always say it, the back row of the concert, everyone who's locked in, listening, whether you're on your drive to work, whether you're drive back from work, whether you're supposed to be babysitting and you got the AirPods in and you're not necessarily paying attention to the kids, it's okay. They'll be fine. We'll keep this whole thing rolling. Now, welcoming in the man, the myth, the legend, national recruiting analyst for us here at On3 to break down the recruitment of the top quarterback in the 2024 cycle, Dylan Rayola. Please welcome the man, Josh Newberg. Josh, how we living, my guy? I'm great, JD. Glad to be here. Good morning to you as well. Glad to have you a part of this, man. Now, news was, was broken over the weekend. Dylan Rayola ends up during the dead period at a Nebraska basketball game. And the crowd went crazy, as you would expect. What do you make of his... I don't know if secret is the right word, not secret visit, but a unannounced visit to Lincoln, Nebraska. How much should you read into this if you're a college football fan in general to where Nebraska stands? Well, I think if you were a Nebraska fan prior to this weekend, you were probably hedging your bets. Like you were probably, you didn't want to go all in this early on a recruitment like Dylan Rayola because everybody knows how emotional recruiting is. And it's just February, right? So Nebraska fans were probably thinking like, It'd be great to land the number one QB, the number one prospect in America, but you know we're, we're coming off some hard times. Well, you look a little deeper, you see the family connections, you see that he's a legacy recruit, and then you get the news that Dylan Rayola, during the dead period, is going to make a visit to the basketball game. He shows up, they chant his name. Do you think, JD, if Dylan Rayola shows up to a UGA basketball game, do they chant his name at a Georgia basketball game? I, I don't Georgia know Georgia has that. a lot of five stars come through that place. That's very true. I don't, I don't know that they would, but I would just say this. They build them different in Lincoln, Nebraska. Like the fan base in Lincoln, Nebraska is a whole other beast. They've been selling out for how many years, Josh? Forever. And, I mean, forever, it feels like. So forever. to answer your question, I don't know. Regardless. But it can't hurt that Nebraska did. So you see him show up. <laughs> you see his name chanted. And if you're a Nebraska fan, after this weekend, you got to be all in now. You're all in on Nebraska has a shot to land the number one player in America, Dylan Rayola. And he's a quarterback, somebody that can come in and make an instant impact and, you know, kind of change the course of history right now in terms of where the Nebraska program's headed. And I think you said that perfectly, Josh. I want to talk about that really quickly, folks. If you haven't yet subscribed, make sure you're locked in. Contact from Josh Newberg on the Inside Scoop. Contact from us here at the Hard Count every single day. Don't want you to miss any of that. But Josh, you said it perfectly. If you're Dylan Rayola, you can go to Georgia. You can go to USC. We'll talk about those programs in a minute. But the pitch for Nebraska is, hey, Dylan, come here and get us back to prominence. Be the, the catalyst for change. How appealing is that? Or rather, what is the pitch outside of that for Nebraska in your mind for Dylan Rayola? Nebraska's in a unique position. Of all the teams recruiting him, they're the one team that can really pull at his heartstrings and make it an emotional play for Dylan Rail. He's a legacy. Like you look at you look at USC. What's the pitch with USC? It's development. It's going to play for Lincoln Riley. It's a business decision. It's a hey, if you're Dylan Rail, maybe you see yourself holding up the Heisman Trophy and that's everything you wanted. If if so, you know, Lincoln Riley and USC provide an opportunity to do that. You look at Georgia, what's their sell? You're going there to win football games. You're going there in the expectation is to not only make the playoffs, but compete for a national championship year in, year out. You're carrying the torch at Georgia of the next great quarterback to come through there. Whereas at Nebraska, it's just a different sell. Like I said, he's a legacy prospect, families involved. They have more access to him. Why was Dylan Rayola able to go to Nebraska during the dead period? Because the NCAA says if you have a prior relationship with somebody, the rules are off. So for Dylan, his uncle Donovan Rayola is the offensive line coach at Nebraska. Therefore, he has that prior relationship. He can go on campus. Now, he can't meet with Matt Rule and the rest of the coaching staff. But that experience that he had at the basketball game was probably more than he expected to have at a, at a basketball game for Nebraska. 
Uh, so seeing him show up there, it shows that Nebraska is going to be in this. They have access to him that other teams don't necessarily have, and they're in the running. And it's tough, Josh, because we don't want to read too much into this. Like, we don't want to overemphasize the fact that he was at Nebraska. But like you said, there's so many pieces that fit into the puzzle for Dylan Rayola to Nebraska. It's hard not to think, okay, where do they sit in this whole thing? The RPM right now has UGA as the leader with 32%, Nebraska right behind him at 28%, and Georgia at 24%. So to be real, if we're reading the tea leaves there with the RPM, it's more or less all three of those schools neck and neck. And to think if you're Dylan Riola and you show up in 16,000 plus people are chanting your name at a basketball game, like he hashtagged it perfectly on his Twitter page, hashtag the good life. Like he was living his best life, the good yeah. life in Lincoln, Nebraska this past weekend. Yeah, and it, it's not going to stop. I mean, they're going to continue to play up the relationships, the emotions. And originally, I kind of slept on Nebraska. I'm not going to lie. I was sleeping on Nebraska when he decommitted from Ohio State back in, in December. I really thought Georgia and USC were going to be a two-team battle. And yes, I felt like we were going to have to mention Nebraska throughout his recruitment because it's valid. But now, I think Nebraska is going toe-to-toe -to -toe right now with Georgia and USC for Dylan Rayola. I mean, that's the way the RPM sees it. And when you talk about tracking the visits, because you and I talk about that a lot, and that's something that you have told me, especially during signing day, like, hey, track these visits, track them. They're not going to lie to you. Men lie, women lie, visits don't lie. He will have a visit, it sounds like, unofficially back to Athens. That would be his sixth unofficial visit to the dogs. So that would make six for Nebraska and six for Georgia being the top two. Where do you see USC factoring in here? Because USC is the closest proximity with him being in Phoenix, Arizona. Do you expect USC to be in the mix here in terms of getting more unofficial visits? I would imagine he spent a fair amount of time there growing up. I mean, wh where does USC fit in this whole mix for you, Josh? USC did a phenomenal job back in January when they were able to get Rayola and his family on campus for a visit over, the, over a weekend. Um, I think that firmly put him in place to be in this recruitment down the stretch. Um, like you said, he's going to visit Athens. I do expect him to be back in Lincoln, Nebraska in March. And I think he ends up taking a visit to USC in March as well. So that kind of lines it up, right? I mean, if, if you kind of follow the visits. So if you're tracking what's happening, he went and took visits to all three schools already. The dead period gets going or I'm sorry the dead period ends on March 1st and visits reopen I think he's going to visit all three of these schools in March which leads me to believe that an April decision is not out of the out of the picture mm -hmm. I you, think that Dylan Rayola could come off the board in April and even the good people at Husker online are saying hey there's still a Georgia visit that is likely going to happen in March correct Josh yes okay great I want to make sure we're on the same page there but you said this too when we were talking in the office Dylan Rayola is a pretty crucial domino in this 2024 cycle. If Dylan Rayola were to commit in the somewhat near future, which I think just about everybody across the industry expects that to happen at least before his senior season is what the thought is, uh, what, what impact would that have on the 2024 cycle, Josh? We played a little QB dominoes on the inside scoop yesterday, and what I, what I found was 11 of the top 20 quarterbacks right now are uncommitted, so just over half of the top 20 quarterbacks in the country are uncommitted. And everybody knows quarterbacks come off the board early. If not by the start of their senior season, definitely in the summer and sometimes in the spring. And right now, we're seeing a bit of posturing, I think, at the quarterback position. And one of the reasons why, I believe that Dylan Rayola kind of holds the cards to how and when these dominoes will fall. I think if Dylan Rayola came out on March 3rd, and made his decision and announced where he was going to school, I think we would see four, five, six other quarterbacks come off the board in the next three or four weeks. Now, Dylan Rail is not going to do that. Therefore, I think we're going to see these quarterbacks kind of stay where they're at. And if Rayola does make an April or even early May decision, I think we'll see a good bit of the top 20, maybe 75%, committed sometime in by the start of summer or early summer. And I think that the reason why is they're waiting to see what Dylan Rayola does. It's hard to blame him. It's very hard to blame him with how talented he is. Again, the top quarterback in the 2024 class. Charles Power loves the way that he can throw off platforms as he has advanced arm talent for where he is currently at the high school level. I want to ask you this question, Josh, before we get, before we get you out of here and appreciate all your time. USC has Malachi Nelson. 
and Lincoln Riley's a quarterback whisperer. Georgia's got a stocked quarterback room. How much pressure is on Nebraska to land the top quarterback in this 24 class in Dylan Rayola? Man, J.D., they need to hire you on staff because you are hitting <laughs> some recruiting bullet points that the Nebraska staff better bring to that in-home visit with Dylan Rayola. I mean, you're right. Opportunity of playing time. There's a clear path there at Nebraska, whereas at Georgia or USC, yeah, they, they take great quarterbacks year in, year out. So I do believe that that's another, yet another selling point that the Nebraska staff is going to use when recruiting Dylan Rayola. It's going to be fascinating to watch this whole thing unfold. Nebraska's putting on the full court press, no pun intended, with a basketball game. But Nebraska, it sounds like, according to the RPM, very much in this right behind Georgia with USC at third place, according to the RPM right now at On3.com. Well, Josh, appreciate your time. Folks, if you haven't yet, give Josh a follow on Twitter and make sure you watch the Inside Scoop on the On3 YouTube channel. Tons of in-depth recruiting analysis from Josh as he brings on other experts from the On3 network. Appreciate you, Josh. See you, J.D. Thanks. Again, that's Josh Newberg, the man, the myth, the legend, giving us some of his time to break down Dylan Rayola's recruitment. I'm telling you, we're going to watch that thing like a hawk. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're locked in. One more shout-out to the podcast, man. Y'all are phenomenal. The podcast, Nick, has been cooking. Like, our numbers were solid during the season, but after we got out of season, y'all have just been consuming content like it's your job, and it's actually our job to produce the content. So it's a huge help for us. So thank you for that. Shifting gears here a little bit, Dylan Rayola, we all anticipate, will be a star when he gets to the collegiate level. But when we look at 2023, who are the potential breakout stars for this coming season? Who's poised to jump onto the scene? A couple of these guys flashed last year, but I think they take center stage in the 2023 season. There's a couple of combos here, meaning I got a team that I like, but more than one star on that team or more than one projected breakout star on that team that we need to talk about. And the first team that is the Tennessee Volunteers. They have Joe Milton and Squirrel White, the quarterback wide receiver duo. And I think they will both break out. I think they will break out because of each other. All right, let's start with Joe Milton. One of the strongest arms in college football. It broke the internet more or less when he threw an orange 120 yards at the Orange Bowl practice, which is just one a hilarious feat that they said, hey, Joe, how far can you throw this orange? And he just goes and, and chucks it and they get it on video. And that's how you go ahead and get drafted if you're Joe Milton. But in all seriousness, his ability to stretch the field, like there is never going to be a time as a safety that you are too deep, meaning you have too much depth to try and defend against that deep pass. There's never going to be a, a part where you're, you're out of range of his arm strength. And one reason why I think he's set to break out is because he has Squirrel White, who popped in the Orange Bowl, and who I think is also set for a big season. Now, Squirrel White, according to the catapult technology, they hook up to players during practice. It tracks your output and your speed during practice. His top speed during practice, 23 miles per hour. All right, that's speeding in some school zones. Okay, so Squirrel White being able to sort of fill that role that Jalen Hyatt left and all that production that he left, double-digit touchdowns, Squirrel White, I think, is set for a very big year. And just think about it this way. In Josh Heupel's offense, they are trying to set up areas where there is a one-on-one -on -one matchup for the wide receiver and a ton of real estate to throw to for the quarterback. So the way that I'm seeing this, you give Squirrel White one-on-one, -on -one, he's going to run by that DB with a lot of green grass for Joe Milton to throw to. I think they're poised for a very big year. Now, Joe Milton's not going to have to be Hennon Hooker, but he is going to have to be dialed in like he was in the Orange Bowl. If we see Orange Bowl Joe Milton and Orange Bowl Squirrel White, and Squirrel White had nine catches, 108 yards, and two touchdowns in that bowl game, they're going to be a problem for college football. I don't anticipate the Tennessee offense taking a step back and both Joe Milton at quarterback and Squirrel White at wide receiver is one of the big reasons why. Got some more breakout players for you. But if you haven't yet subscribed, we'd love to have you a part of this. So lock it in, subscribe. Also, follow me on Instagram and on Twitter, at Jody Pickell. Just a great way for us to hear from y'all. Okay, now the next player I want to talk about is Isaiah Bond, wide receiver for Alabama. What was one of the main complaints you heard from the Alabama fan base this past season. Hey, we're not stretching the field enough. That's great we have Jameer Gibbs. Bryce Young is doing all that he can, but we need somebody to pop the top on a defense. Isaiah Bond is going to do that for you in spades this coming year. He is a track champion 
in the state of Georgia in the 100 and 200 meters. Translation, my guy can go. All right, he knows how to burn. And then when you look at how this offense will be set up, it's going to get back to under Tommy Reese being physical Alabama. We're going to pound you with the run game. We're going to make your, your safeties creep up. We're going to make your linebackers trigger quickly. And who's going to be the beneficiary of that? One of your fastest receivers, Isaiah Bond. He snapped a couple of times this past season. They had a big catch against AM that set up a, a Bryce Young touchdown. He had a touchdown against Kansas State in their bowl game. Isaiah Bond, I promise you, is going to have big numbers, and he will make a lot of highlight reel deep ball catches for touchdowns. All right, so Isaiah Bond, for me, is absolutely somebody that you need to make sure you keep an eye on going into this season because he's set for a breakout year. Now, another guy we got to talk about, how about Desan McCullough? He transferred from Indiana to Oklahoma. He plays the edge defender position. Now, Brent Venables has been fairly vocal about how they need to upgrade on the defensive line in Norman. They took five transfers of their 13 transfers on the defensive line so far. So Desan McCullough, to me, is just the perfect blend of length and speed. He's about six foot five. He's twitchy as all get out. He fits exactly what Brent Venables wants in an edge defender. And one of the reasons why I think he's going to break out, he's so versatile. The offensive lines, offenses in general, won't be able to game plan specifically for one thing that Desan McCullough is going to do. Yes, he's going to rush the passer. He's going to be a problem for you off the edge. But guess what? If you want to peel a running back out on a wheel route, Desan McCullough is athletic enough and long enough to run with that running back. They can drop him into coverage. He can play the slant for you. Like Desan McCullough has so many skills, and his build is such that Brent Venables is going to utilize him to the nth degree. He is going to be a problem for Big 12 defenses, and eventually SEC defenses. When Oklahoma gets there, he's built like an SEC defensive lineman. Again, the length and the speed is exactly what the doctor ordered for Brent Venables and this defense as they try and upgrade a little bit in that position group. So Desan McCullough, I'm telling you, he had four sacks a year ago at Indiana. But going forward, he's going to be a name that you need to know. I think he's going to wreak havoc across the Big 12 for many a quarterback across that conference. Now, we told you we have a, another bundle for you, okay? So two breakout players on the same team. Those players are Abdul Carter and Drew Aller at Penn State. Now, Abdul Carter, we'll start with him. He wears number 11 at Penn State and plays linebacker. That's all you need to know. It's like, I mean, Nick Brakes, a soccer fan. You get number 10 at Brazil. You know who the dude is, right? And they gave it to him as a freshman, number 11 at Penn State, they did. And he is a violent athlete. He gets to the football with bad intentions. And we saw him make many a play, especially early in the year against Auburn. I mean, he was all over the field. And what I said about Desan McCullough and his versatility on defense is the same thing that's true with Abdul Carter. He's six foot three, 235 pounds, but runs like a deer. He can spy your quarterback. So you got a kind of a dual threat guy back there trying to make plays. Think J.J. McCarthy if he's trying to scramble. Abdul Carter's your guy. He can spy with him. Oh, but you want to go ahead and run a stretch play to the sideline, Abdul Carter from the opposite side of the field can track the near hip, make up that space, gain ground, make a tackle. Like he's just a chess piece for this Penn State defense that you can put anywhere on the field. And a good, I mean, I mean, he flashed last year. He was a freshman All-American, so you could say in some ways he broke out last year. I think he's going to break out in even a more national way this coming season. I mean, I would be surprised, and this is probably a big statement, I'd be surprised if Abdul Carter isn't on the All-American watch list, and I think he has every single tool that you would require to be an All-American linebacker, okay? So Penn State has prided themselves on being linebacker you. I think Abdul Carter has got next up. He's got the double ones, so I think you know all that you need to know. Now, Drew Aller is one of the more obvious picks here when it comes to breakout players. He was the top three quarterback in the 2022 class. Penn State won a Rose Bowl with Sean Clifford, okay? Penn State's got a lot built in around them. A lot of that talent is young. So when that talent is young, what does that mean for the next year? They're going to get another offseason to develop, another season to grow into their role on the team. And you enter in a quarterback in Drew Aller who probably wasn't ready to take over the reins last year away from Sean Clifford. But Drew Aller, in terms of just natural abilities, 
Just what God gave him when he made him, Drew Allard has more of that than Sean Clifford. I mean, he's a big body, six foot five, 238 pounds. He just commands the football around the field. Some of y'all remember watching him when he tagged into the game against Purdue for Penn State early in the year because Sean Clifford was cramping or something to that effect. And Drew Aller, I don't think he completed the pass, but he just threw a missile to the far sideline to his tight end. I think his tight end ended up dropping the pass. But there is so much around Drew Aller and so much skill within him that it's hard to see a scenario where this Penn State team doesn't make some noise in 2023. He's got Keandre uh, Lambert-Smith, going to be his vertical presence. You also got Nick Singleton at, at running back. So you're going to have a run game to keep those safeties honest. You got somebody to pop the top on the defense. Like Drew Aller, I think, is poised for a very big year. So Penn State, get excited. You got Abdul Carter. You got Drew Aller. Both guys that I think are going to break out in an enormous way in 2023. For the record, Director of Scouting and Rankings for On3, Charles Power, was much higher on Abdul Carter than anybody else in the industry when he came out of high school. Knocked that one out of the park. Just absolutely crushed that one when he called his shot with Abdul Carter. So he's going to be another problem again, as will Abdul, or excuse me, as will Drew Aller. Now, I want to go to the SEC for this last one. Oscar Dell, tight end at Georgia. Georgia likes to be in 12 personnel, under Todd Munkin did at least. And under Mike Bobo, I don't anticipate this offense looking tremendously different. I think you're going to see a lot of the same concepts that you saw under Todd Munkin. So you're going to see Brock Bowers on the field, and you're going to see Oscar Delp on the field at the exact same time. Now, Oscar Delp is a different flavor of tight end than Darnell Washington. Darnell Washington, about six foot seven, 270 pounds, tremendous blocker. Could throw him a jump ball in the red zone. He was a problem for you. Ran really well for his size. Oscar Delp is a little bit more of a receiving tight end. He's a good blocker. Made some progress as a blocker later in the year during his freshman season. But he's about six foot five, 225 pounds. Charles Power, out of high school, liked Oscar Delp's fluid athleticism, which you don't always see for someone that's about six foot five, 225 pounds. To be able to catch and run the way that he does, he's going to make some plays for you. And think about it this way one of the reasons I think he's going to break out, Brock Bowers. I anticipate being one of the best players in college football, if not the best player in college football in 2023. He's going to demand a ton of attention. Now, Brock Bowers is going to get his. Now, don't get it twisted. Brock Bowers is going to get correct every single Saturday. But there's going to come a time as a defensive coordinator where Brock Bowers has gone for, let's say he's gone for 100 yards in the first three quarters, and you're like, gosh, dang it, man. If we lose, it's not going to be because number 19 had three touchdowns. He's got two already. We got to do something different defensively. We're going to give him more attention. Well, when that happens, pick your poison, man, because Oscar Delp is going to make you pay. They've got other weapons. Does this Georgia offense, but I think Oscar Delp is next up in terms of being one of those great tight ends for Georgia. So for this whole list, I think all these guys, again, are set to break out. I don't think you go wrong with any of them, but Drew Aller and Abdul Carter at Penn State, Squirrel White and Joe Milton in Tennessee. You got Oscar Delp at Georgia. And you got Isaiah Bond at Alabama, Desan McCullough at Oklahoma. All of those guys are going to grab headlines. So when they do, make sure you come back here and say, yep, that's exactly right. We all knew it first. We all talked about it together on the hard count. And now they're making everybody else in college football look silly by what they're doing on Saturday. So keep an eye on those guys, I promise you. They're going to make some noise. They're going to make some noise as well when it comes to spring practice, all right? So make sure you keep it locked in there. And don't be a fan later of those guys. Appreciate everybody tuning in right now. If you have not yet, hit the like button. Would encourage you to do that for us. We have some guests lined up. If we get, let's say, 25 more likes, we'll tell you who we got next on the hard count. All right, so just 25 more. This is now your call. Hit the like button. Hit that little thumbs up button under the video, and we'll roll from there. Now, before we get to some of the things that you would change about college football, what are the top quarterback spring battles? On three, put out a list, I want to say it was right around a week ago, of five specific battles going on around the country. And I think we need to break them all down because they're all unique in their own different way. And a couple of these will have college football playoff implications in a very big way. And the first of which is the Georgia battle. You got Carson Beck 
versus Brock Vandergriff versus Gunnar Stockton. And the way that I look at it, this offense itself, yeah, you lose some guys, but for the most part, it's ready-made for the right driver. Again, I don't expect Mike Bobo's offense to be wildly different than what Todd Munkin did. Okay, now there may be different innovations that Mike Bobo brings to the table here. They might call it a little bit differently, but schematically, I think it'll be very, very similar. Now, Stetson Bennett, I think, proved a lot of people wrong over the course of his time at Georgia. But what made him so good? Yes, he's got some physical tools, but what made him really good at Georgia, what made him a national champion two times, was the fact that he knew the offense so well. He knew all the nuances of the car so specifically. In any of y'all that have driven an old car, you know what I'm talking about. Hey, man, you want to hook up to Bluetooth? Well, you got to make sure you bend the cord just right and hold your phone directly towards the sun so it heats up and you get to the blue. You know, you know what I'm saying here? Just the little quirks of the car. Stetson Bennett knew all of those to the nth degree, and you heard Kirby Smart talk about it a lot. He played well within our system. How often do we hear Kirby Smart say that after a game? Hey, great game by Stetson Bennett, but played well within our system. It kind of felt like a backhanded comment towards Stetson Bennett, probably another topic for another time. But the fact of the matter is, any of these guys, whether it's Beck, Vandergriff, Stockton, any of these guys can win a third for you, all right? They could get it done. But in order to do that, they have to be extra familiar with the system. They have to be extra familiar with the car like Stetson Bennett was. You got Brock Bowers, you got Oscar Delp, Got Dominique Lovett. You got a lot of pieces here, but are you able to operate the car in a similar fashion to which Stetson Bennett did? I personally believe it'll be Carson Beck based on what we saw in the national title game and based on the buzz around him close to Athens. It'll be a duel, man. They'll let him have it out. New OC should be a lot of fun to keep track of. Make sure you're subscribed. Make sure you're following me on Instagram and on Twitter at JD Paquel. This channel, the hard count, we got you covered, all right, on the On3 YouTube channel. 12 months out of the year. We don't want you to miss a thing, so keep it locked right here. Now, another battle we need to look at. The Ohio State Buckeyes have not one but two five-stars in-house. I've said it before, the most luxurious question mark in all of college football is who are the Ohio State Buckeyes going to play at quarterback? You got Kyle McCord from the 2021 class was a five-star. You got Devin Brown from the 2022 class. Both these guys can play. And the difference to me between Ohio State and Georgia in this scenario is whoever ends up being the driver for Ohio State is driving a Ferrari. Georgia's a Ferrari too, but how many of you know this? If you end up taking over the Ferrari at Ohio State, we're not going the speed limit, we're not playing it safe, but you can't crash either. All right, it's not going to be this thing where we just hand the ball off and we'll sort of take some time off the clock and we'll dink and dunk and just make sure you're comfortable. No, man, we got Marvin Harrison Jr. on one side. We got Emeka Egbuka on the other. We are airing this thing out. You better be able to go 85 because we need you to. All right, but also you better not crash and burn. You can't be throwing picks for us here when we call four verts. So it's sort of this balance of being able to drive the car safely but also go at the pace that's required. Now, if I were just to pick an entertainment value in terms of quarterback races, if I were to be able to just peel back the curtain and sit and watch any spring practice that I could, the quarterback battle at Ohio State would be a fun one to watch. I think that'll be like a heavyweight bout. Just these two quarterbacks going back and forth. The rumor from people close to Columbus is that this is Kyle McCord's job to lose. Now, Devin Brown, extremely talented. Okay, extremely talented. I venture to believe he will make it very difficult on the staff there at Ohio State. But Kyle McCord, right now, if we had to place a bet, would be who we would bet on. But again, it will be a heavyweight bout. You're driving a Ferrari. You can't go slow and you can't crash. So that'll be a whole lot of fun to watch. How about the Nebraska Cornhuskers? You got Casey Thompson, who started last year, and I think gets a bad rap when he was healthy and when he had things somewhat stable around him. I thought he played pretty well. I thought Casey Thompson did a pretty solid job. Then you got Jeff Sims, who the, 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 the word when you think about Jeff Sims that comes to mind is tools. So many gifts for Jeff Sims. He's about six foot four, 220 pounds, rocket for an arm, over 20 starts. At Georgia Tech, he's transferring in. He's going to try and take the job. Okay, now this battle, I think, will go back and forth. But we had Matt Rule, head coach for Nebraska, 
on the hard count, I believe it was around a week ago, when we asked him straight up, what's it going to take to start for you at Nebraska? What's it going to take? And he said, you got to have the it factor. You got to be able to take care of the football. And for me, read between the lines, what I gained from that is you got to be able to take a profit. I had a great coach tell me this one time. You don't go broke getting paid. And for Nebraska's quarterback race, it's not going to be a matter of who makes all the big throws, who has the most highlight plays, who made all the off-platform throws and the no-look Patrick Mahomes kind of deal. I'm sure that's great. And if you can do that within the confines of the offense, cool, we'll, we'll, we'll roll with you. But this, to me, is going to be who can keep the chains moving. It sounds cliche. It's coach speak. But guess what, y'all? Coach speak is coach speak for a reason because it's true. So Jeff Sims and Casey Thompson, I anticipate to go back and forth, but what it will come down to is who can consistently take a profit, who can do the quick game well, who can keep turning the ball over, who can pick up a first down with their legs. That's what it's going to be about at Nebraska, not the wow factor. All right, so the tools for Jeff Sims are nice. Casey Thompson did a lot of great things last year for Nebraska. Who can take a profit will end up winning this quarterback battle. Now, Alabama. Also got themselves a quarterback race. You got Jalen Milrow. You got Ty Simpson. Another dark horse in this race, for me at least, is Eli Holstein. He enrolled early at Alabama, was there during bowl practice, so keep an eye on this. The interesting thing about this is you have a new offensive coordinator in Tommy Reese. So the edge that maybe Jalen Milrow did have, being the older guy there and being in the system for the longest period of time, I think that that edge is sort of negated or at least minimized a little bit. Ty Simpson has a lot of tools. That's kind of the buzzword when it comes to spring quarterback battles. Really athletic, makes a lot of off-platform throws, can extend plays with his feet. Jalen Milrow, a really good athlete, and a small sample size last year was underwhelming to say the least. Okay? So what I think it comes down to for this quarterback race specifically Who's able to cash in? Who's able to cash in? And what, what I mean by that is this Alabama offense will be physical with you up front. They're going to make it a point to run the football early, run the football often. That isn't to say they're not still going to take their shots deep. But here's the reality. Whenever you're a running football team, or you run to set up the pass, rather, as I anticipate Alabama will be, you only get so many chances to go deep and make the defense pay. You only get so many chances to take advantage of that safety playing at seven yards as opposed to nine yards, and your receiver, Isaiah Bond, has a step and a half. Like You, you can't miss him when he's 15 yards downfield and nobody's around him. Okay, So who's able to consistently cash in is going to start for Alabama, for my opinion. Now, obviously, there's some other facets that come into it, who can keep the offense moving, who takes care of the football, but I think the differentiator will be who can cash in on those big-time throws. Because Alabama is going to have a lot of those available this year. I'm just telling you right now. They're going to be physical up front. They're going to take their shots when the defense tries to overcommit. I think you can win with any of these guys. But for me right now, based on what we have heard and what people think about Ty Simpson close to Tuscaloosa, I think it's Ty Simpson's job. I think he will end up winning this job in camp. Now, we'll see how long these races go. But I do think Ty Simpson's going to be ultimately the one that I would bet on right now. Now, the last race that on three talked about, and that I think is just fascinating, hilarious, deserves a Netflix documentary, all that. What is going on in Oxford, Mississippi? I mean, d d does anybody know what's going on in Oxford, Mississippi right now? Lane Kiffin has not one, not two, but three quarterbacks. He's got Jackson Dart coming back from last year, who I thought played better at times than the narrative around him. You got Walker Howard transferring in from LSU, who was highly recruited out of high school. And you got Spencer Sanders transferring from Oklahoma State, who has had, I would say, a streaky level of play when he was at Oklahoma State, but still played a lot of football, competed for a Big 12 championship in 2021. Like, Spencer Sanders is that guy, okay? He can make some things happen. Also worth noting, Spencer Sanders has one year left. Translation, he's got to play. He has got to play. He did not come to Ole Miss to sit a year and figure it out. He's got to play this year. The best way for me to think about this with this quarterback race is Lane Kiffin essentially 
took three betta fish, you know, those kind of scary-looking fish you see at PetSmart that are supposed to stay in their own tank, not supposed to put them with other fish. He took three betta fish, dumped them into his quarterback room, and says, all right, y'all figure it out. Y'all go after each other. This will not be a civil quarterback battle. Men lie, women lie. Y'all parents' Facebooks don't lie. And Jackson Dart's dad went to Facebook, posted a picture of them hunting like mountain lions or something crazy, and said something to the effect of, some people talk trash in the offseason, some people work. I don't really get it either. I just thought it was hilarious, and I think it sets the table for a wild quarterback derby. Now, the advantage here for Walker Howard is he doesn't have to play this year. He can sit back. He can bide his time. He can wait his turn. Jackson Dart and Spencer Sanders are on the clock here. Jackson Dart has two years left. Like I said, Spencer Sanders has one year left. So they're about to go toe-to-toe, -to -toe, man. It should be a lot of fun to watch. This is one that I said, again, will not be a civil quarterback battle. They will be at each other's throats, practice in and practice out. And I think at the end of spring practice, you will see one of these cats transfer out. Now, how does that work with eligibility for their next school remains to be seen? Because, again, Spencer Sanders has transferred once. Jackson Dart has transferred once. So on paper, you would imagine they have both used their one-time transfer with no penalty. So we'll see what happens there. We'll leave that to the powers that be to figure out. But these quarterback battles will have massive implications on their conference races and college football playoff races. And spring football is here, y'all. Let's lock in. Football, for those of us that are junkies, is back. Shout out to the Vanderbilt Commodores, man. It is, I think, somewhere in the range of 130-ish days till Hawaii makes the horrific plane trip to Nashville, Tennessee to play Vanderbilt in week zero of college football. That's going to be a lot of fun. You better believe we're locked in here on this channel, man. When that game gets rolling, we're going to be in front of the TV sets. I don't care what time it's at. All right? Now, we asked a question to y'all. This is a conversation we have had rolling on my Twitter page at JD Pakel for some time now. What would you change about college football if you could change one thing? Now, there is the narrative out there that myself being a college football traditionalist, a college football purist, if you will, that I'm opposed to change. That, however, is not true. I think some of y'all bring up some really good ideas for what we should change about this sport or what could be tweaked to improve it in terms of efficiency. But... Enough about me. I want to hear y'all's thoughts. Welcome in now. Pride of Owensboro, Kentucky. Heavy lifter extraordinaire, Nick Brake. Nick, how we doing, man? What's up, buddy? Yeah, uh, you say you're not a purist, but you are opposed to every possible move hey, to college football. Well, we, we, got, we got some really good stuff here from the, uh, the audience. I mean, I, I've previewed some of these. We got some really good ideas. I wouldn't say, I wouldn't say I'm in on all of these, but a lot of these I think are, are really good, mm -hmm. you know? I'm in on two of them. One of them I'm kind of, and I let people figure out for themselves which one um, I don't like. So uh, the first one coming from Buckeye Fett, maybe the coolest profile name ever. Very cool. From a Star Wars fan like myself. National championship on a Monday night is an atrocity. Um, JD, what do you think? Buckeye Fett, friend of the program, first and foremost. Thank you for that. Nick, I don't know if we're in lockstep here. I 1,000% agree with this. Like, college football is a Saturday sport. We love waking up early on Saturdays and watching college game day or big noon kickoff, whichever you prefer, and locking in for the duration of the day and having Saturday be college football's day. Why all of a sudden, Nick, do we take the biggest game of the entire year and schedule it for a Monday night? I don't understand that. People have work the next day. Kids have school the next day. I mean, Monday night, maybe it's a TV play, but for me, I don't get it. Make the national title game on Saturdays. College football is a Saturday sport. Why are we messing with it for the national title game? Come on now. Nick, I don't understand this, brother. I don't understand this. Where did you fall on this one? I want to hear your thoughts here. Um, oh, dude, I want it on Saturday, right? Right? I mean, it's a Saturday sport. Why are we, why are we moving it to Monday? Yeah. What are we I doing agree. here? And Mondays are the worst. Who likes Mondays? I don't. I mean, I, I'm, I'm in no way, shape, or form an anti-Monday guy, but I would also say I don't want my national title being played on a Monday. That, that, that feels like counter-intuition to me. So, mm -hmm. I mean, what, what do I know, though? Also, folks, uh, we get 15 more likes. We'll tell you all who we got queued up. 
for our next guest on the hard count. Hint, it is a Power 5 head coach. All right, so if you want, to, you want us to tell you live, we'll do it right now, but we need 15 more likes in order to get that done. Uh, Nick, what else we got on here, brother? Uh, next question. This one's coming from Preston Gant the, at the PG Show. Another friend of the program. He is. Um, remove the F- FCF, excuse me, the FCS teams you play in the regular season, and allow teams to play FCS teams in the spring. Okay, I like that one too. I'm not. I'm not against this. Here's my my one pushback. Here, we see spring games, and there's a lot of guys that are wearing non-contact jerseys. I shouldn't say a lot, especially quarterbacks. Quarterbacks, for the most part, traditionally in a spring football game are considered non-contact. My question would be, do we allow our quarterbacks to then be considered available for hitting in the spring football game? And also the other draw to spring practice, another thing that coaches love about it, is Nick, you can beat the ever-living goodness out of each other for 14 practices in a row, and then on the 15th practice have a spring game, and not have too much concern for the fall. Because when you get to the fall, it's, hey, we're probably going... Maybe just shells. Maybe we're not going shoulder pads at all. We're probably not hitting during the season because we want to keep everybody healthy. So having to move that concern as well to the spring as it is in the fall, I wonder how that would play with FBS coaches. I get it. I'm all for it from an entertainment standpoint because then you probably have to stack that game with someone that would, on paper at least, be more competitive than whoever your FCS opponent is. The FCS opponent gets paid. That's all well and good. But I think the purpose of spring practice is to have a lot of physicality and is to be able to go head up every practice that you want to and not worry about the fall. So that's my thought on that, Nick. I would worry about how that would look for for the spring practice if you were to have a more competitive spring game, but it's my take on it. What about you, bro? Well, I don't think a team like Georgia needs to be playing Austin P in the regular season. That's not a that's not a football game. I know Look, Austin sure. P stands to get a lot of experience, and you know when you're playing an FCS team, good for them. But schedule a G5 team if you have to play a team that's quote unquote weaker, because I hear you. a team from Conference USA or the Mountain West would be a lot better and more, you know, just more impactful for your team to play than an FCS school who's just going to come in and get absolutely destroyed. Yeah, it is. It is sort of the cost of doing business if you're in FCS school, right? Like, yeah, you got to get paid. Got to get paid yeah, somehow. I mean, but yeah, why. maybe you get paid it's in the spring. The... Maybe you get paid in the spring. Mm-hmm. I don't know. We'll see. I, I'm. I'm probably. I'm gonna go the other way on that. But I respect the thought behind going to an FCS team for their spring game. We got one more on here, Nick. I do, and this is. <laughs> uh, what is it? Is it Roland or Roland? You think Roland Beal? Uh, I Roland would Beal. guess I haven't seen it yet on my R-O-L-L-I-N. screen. R O L L I N. I don't want to. I would say Roland. Roland. Okay. I would say Roland. Roland. I have a friend named Benji Roland. That's why I'm just being sure. Roland. Roland Beal. Okay. Um, for field goals, one point if you hit the upright and miss. Four points if you hit the upright and make it. Look, Roland. <laughs> hey. I'm not so sure about this one. I'll give you my idea in a second, but JD, uh, first your input. Okay, this would never happen, but just think, how cool would this be? Like, think about the way that your heart just sinks whenever your kicker has a horrific doink. And it just, it looks like it's going to be good, and then it hits the pole, and you're like, oh, no. Well, no, no, it's okay. Because if you were trying to get it for the win, let's say it's 28-29, and that was going to be your go-ahead score, you hit the left upright, you're still in it. You're still in it. It's a one-pointer tie game with play some extra ball. Would never happen. I don't actually know that I'm seriously for this, but it's a hilarious idea, and it's fun to dream a little bit right now, Nick. I'm, I'm, not, I'm not as opposed to that as I am for the spring game idea. Is that crazy? What are your thoughts here, Nick? I can't even understand how you would think this is a better idea than the spring game. <laughs> well, I mean, think about it this way. It, it adds another layer to the sport. People are always trying to switch it up. I'm not actually in favor of this, but just if we're having the brain exercise that this is right now, Mm-hmm. It's, it, I'm more in, this makes a little bit more sense to me than changing the format of a spring football game. To me, at least. But you're the resident specialist. You've actually put total leather before, so I want to hear your thoughts on this because okay. uh, you're probably the most qualified of the two of us to answer this question. Well, that, 
is probably not true, but JD, <laughs> the only way you can add a different point to football and different way of scoring should not be hitting the upright. You shouldn't be, uh, you know, you don't need to be getting rewarded for missing a field goal. Um, but I think you should get a point or maybe two points if you can kick the ball through the upright on the kickoff. Yeah, okay. In college, I'm in not for the that. NFL. It's easier in the I'm NFL. in for that. I think there's – hey, I think it's possible. Nick, I'm, I'm not so sure that we're approaching the day and age, and I, I'm not for this, but I'm curious to see <laughs> how much longer we have kickoffs in our game. I mean, genuinely, with, with all the science that's coming out mm-hmm. around concussions and CTE, and, and hey, listen, I, I am pro-kickoff. I'm pro-kickoff return. Played every special teams unit in college. But I'm just curious to see how that evolves going forward. So maybe we won't touch that one right now, yeah. but just some food for thought. Special teams continues to change, so maybe with it, maybe the field goal scoring changes a little bit, Nick. We'll see. We'll see what happens there. Um, yeah, that should, that should just about do it there in terms of our, uh, our thoughts there when it comes to yes. changing college football. Is that correct? Yeah, those are it. Uh, just those three. Um, make sure really quick no one said anything in the chat. No, it doesn't look like any other, uh, any other different kind. Oh, excuse me, JD. I'm sorry. I was about to cut my own self off. JH22, get rid of conference championship games. Use regular season record to decide the conference championship. They want to go into your Ivy League. Okay. I love that JH22. I believe in that as well. See, we're, we're, we're taking a step back there, though. We're ta- I mean, we, that's how it used to be determined. I believe it was like 1992 when we first played a conference championship game in the SEC. I mean, I, I am all for the fact that we get to have a conference title game, especially in these conferences like the Big Ten, like the SEC, where it's not guaranteed that the top two teams in the conference have played each other yet. Like, I think that's one of the reasons why we're seeing – these divisions go away across different conferences. The ACC is doing it. The Big Ten is doing it. The Pac-12 did it last year. Like, we're slowly but surely, I think, improving on the conference championship model. I like it, Nick. I, I, I like having the conference title game, and I think it helps make the college football playoff picture that much more clear. Do you have thoughts on this? I, JD, man, we talk about it being the best regular season, but you could, you could, be, you could lose a game potentially yeah. make the college or make the championship. I mean, in, in a league that you don't have two different conferences, you could lose to the same team, go and beat them, and you'd still be the champion. I would say this, having played in the conference where this was how they determined mm-hmm. the conference champion, there was always that thought around, well, yes, but we beat the champion. We, we, we beat the team that we're sharing some sort of share of this conference championship with. And it just felt a little bit sour. Like, yeah. there was always that feeling of, well, That's hey, if we point. ran it back, if, if we played this team again, I tell you, we would prove it. So That's a good point. I, that, that's my feel on it, but I, I understand the, the thought mm-hmm. behind going no conference championship as well. But again, for me and my money, mm-hmm. not for it. Like, dude, your money is 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 more valuable than mine there because you have pl- well, you you said I was more experienced for the kicking because I kicked in high school. You played in a college league that okay. had, you know, that was just a regular season. So I'll, I'm gonna take your your word there, JD. We'll split the difference. We'll split <laughs> we'll, the difference. We'll Perfect. How's that? Sounds good. JD Nick, man, see you yeah. Thursday. I'll see you Thursday. I'll see you Thursday, man. Beautiful. Nick, break lifting heavy. Telling you, man, keeping all the plates spinning. Got the lights, the cameras, the segments, the lower thirds, doing everything you see here. There's a reason why we call him the heavy lifter, folks. Well, if you're new here, if you tuned in just to hear us talk about Dylan Rayola, you found your spot. We talk college football every single day. We do this long-form show live twice a week. And if you're subscribed and you got the bell notification hit, you're going to know when we go live. And when we go live, it's a party. I promise you, we get in the live chat. We hear from y'all. Again, hit me on Instagram and on Twitter, at JD Pakel. That's where we have these conversations that we then move to this live operation. We appreciate y'all allowing us to do this, man. College football, the games are stopped. The sport itself, you and I both know, it is nowhere near on pause, okay? So you found your home for college football. All things, all year, we got you covered. Make sure you're locked in, okay? Genuinely, we appreciate y'all. And we love y'all. We're going to keep this party rolling. And we will see y'all next time. It's time for today's Lucky Land Horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane. So shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. 
Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Turns and conditions apply.